Hey, Nina Rao here, producer of NPR's Book of the Day. It's August, and we're taking a little time off. While we do, we're sharing some of our favorite episodes from this past year. Today's episode was first released in early May. We're back with new episodes next week. Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. April was Autism Acceptance Month. And yeah, I know it's May now, but I feel like the whole point of these months is for you to think about these issues they're trying to call attention to, you know, the rest of the year. So I want to play for you an excerpt of this piece the folks over at LifeKit produced. It's from reporter Eric Garcia, and he talked to psychologist Devin Price, who wrote this book called Unmasking Autism. And that term, unmasking, is very specific. Apparently, and I just learned this after listening to this interview, masking is the term used for when neurodivergent people hide or suppress certain behaviors to fit in better. And besides being just exhausting, it leads to a whole other string of effects like eating disorders. It's a conversation that offers a lot to think on, but you can almost feel the relief of it when they get to talking about how it feels to unmask. And if you're into it, you can find the full episode over at NPR's Life Kit feed. All right, give it a listen. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Osea. When your skin glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion, to provide results you can feel. Glow from the inside out with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. This is NPR's Life Kit. I'm Eric Garcia. I'm a reporter and author of the book, We're Not Broken, Changing the Autism Conversation. I was diagnosed with autism when I was a child. But at the same time, I grew up in the 1990s when autism was still not largely in the public consciousness. So as a result, I often had to be conscious about how it manifested around others. When I was a student at community college, when I was with a woman I liked, I furiously shook my leg to calm myself. The woman pointed out the behavior and challenged me to go a whole week without shaking my leg. And I did. Little did I know, all of this was what is called masking. So masking is basically taking some kind of attempt or employing some kind of strategy to hide your disability. That's Devin Price, psychologist and author of the book Unmasking Autism. The book is a guide for neurodivergent people to find greater self-acceptance by rethinking how they mask. Devin says masking when it comes to autism means camouflaging certain behaviors so you come off as quote-unquote more normal. Faking a smile, faking eye contact by looking in the middle of someone's uh, forehead because you know that if you show your discomfort with eye contact, people will find you untrustworthy and treat you very differently. 
Masking means constantly compensating for others around you, hiding your true self. And, and that's really what most um, masked autistics end up having to do, because a lot of us receive social input our whole lives, that there's something off about us. We get little weird mocking comments. We get told to stop squirming in our seat, you know, to make eye contact, to pay attention. Even if we actually are paying attention, we just don't look like we are. We hear that stuff all our lives. And so we get really indoctrinated into how to fake being neurotypical. Devin says that hypervigilance to every movement your body makes, to imitating social norms, it's exhausting. You have this moment of going, wait a second, not everyone finds <laughs> just being out in the world this exhausting all the time. This episode of Life Kit, Unmasking Autism. My conversation with Devin Price on the pervasiveness of masking and strategies for the neurodivergent about how to live more freely. Devin, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. Not only are you an autistic person, but you're also a researcher. What was did you find unique to your experience, and what did you find was universal when you were doing your research and you were talking with other autistic people about the experiences of masking? Yeah, almost every experience I've had in the process of interviewing other autistic people and going through the literature and researching for this book, I've seen myself reflected pretty much across the board in other people. Um, there's no experience, even things that I thought were really specific to myself, like little ways that I used to self-harm when I was really going through a sensory overload. I used to like, you know, go in the bathroom and like hit myself with a hairbrush um, on the arms and legs when I was in like a real sensory meltdown kind of level. And I used to think that was something that was so disgusting and creepy and shameful about myself, that I was that out of control. And then I sit down and I interview all these other masked autistic people who, just like me, the face they present to the world is fairly professional, mature, you know, appropriate, all of these really uh, punishing labels we have to box ourselves into. And then I find out that they were, you know, cutting or they had eating disorders that were really severe like mine or, you know... Working on this book has been such a lesson in unlearning my shame because even the weirdest things about me I ended up seeing were things other autistic people were feeling like they had to hide from others. And it actually wasn't that shameful. It wasn't actually something we needed to hide. Right. And you discuss, I think, one of the things that is under-discussed but needs to be discussed. You, you talked about this earlier, but you mentioned you had an eating disorder. I cannot tell you how many autistic people, particularly trans men, particularly non-binary people, particularly women, uh, have struggled with eating disorders. Yeah. So there is a huge, you know, if we want to call it comorbidity, I think that really predisposes a lot of us to search for the codec for what are the rules to follow? And if I follow these rules, I'll finally be a good person. And so we can get really rigid about um, yes. trying to be a very moral, upstanding person, trying to be a very hardworking person. And I think a lot of us end up also craving the rituals of and eating disorder, because it gives you this structure to your day, then I'm being a good person in the eyes of society. I'm being a disciplined person. Uh, as somebody in recovery and as someone who has had difficulty with substance use disorders, I noticed a lot of overlap between the, uh, in similarities. I've never had an eating disorder, but I have had that. Um, one of the other things that you mention is how masking, how oftentimes people from marginalized groups 
whether it be LGBTQ plus people, whether it be people of color, whether it be women, uh, whether it be poor people, uh, all of these different groups have to mask for different reasons. How is masking intersectional and how do people's varying identities color how they mask? Autism assessments were designed with white male children, usually from upper and middle class uh, backgrounds in mind. And to this day, all of the assessments that we use for diagnosing autism, even in adults, is still based on how to identify it in white cisgender boys, um, usually very young ones. So what that means is if you're, let's say, a young autistic black boy, you are far more likely to get diagnosed with something like oppositional defiant disorder. The population that it's the most perilous for has got to be black autistics. Um, there's one person that I spoke to in the book, Timotheus Gordon. He's the founder of the group Autistics Against Curing Autism, Chicago. I love Timotheus so much. He's so amazing. And he talks about how, you know, hey, you know, if someone like me walks down the street flapping my hands, people might look at me weird. They might treat me in a condescending way, but I'm going to be safe. Um, but if Timotheus is walking down the street stimming, doing self-stimulatory behaviors like that, he might have the cops called on him. He might be incarcerated or shot, you know, so the... The risk of being seen as disabled as a black autistic person is so much higher. And so the amount of masking you have to do is just next level compared to even to what I've described having to do myself. Absolutely. And, and this is something that I've noticed a lot, uh, you know, because society sees your skin color. They don't see your disability often. That's the first thing that they see. Um, you mentioned this concept of a values-based integration process in your book. How is this helpful for autistic people as they're learning to unmask and recognizing what masking is? In the book, I walk people through this exercise by this autistic life coach, Heather Morgan, and it's called the values-based integration exercise. And it's basically designed to help you get back in touch with the person you were before masking really shut you away from the world so severely. And the way that she suggests people get back in touch with that sense of themselves is think of five moments in your life throughout different ages and settings where when you think about those moments, you just go, wow, if life was always like this, life would be amazing. And it might be just this wonderful moment that you shared with someone you love. It might be an incredible vacation. It might be a time when you were working on a creative project and you just felt really devoted to that task. But you just look through those memories and you see yeah. what did these memories and moments have to say about what I actually value? Is it creativity? Is it self-expression? And so it's a really great exercise to reconnect and reflect on themselves. And honestly, I think um, neurotypical people should do it too, because I think we all get out of touch with who we really are, just from the grind of everyday life. Uh, you write about, about every day on masking in your book. Uh, what are some lessons that you could give from your own experience to autistic people who are learning on masking these every day on masking uh, acts and what are some 
tips that you've learned from other people through and what uh, because of course we know that what works for one autistic person doesn't work for another autistic person. A lot of us we've stepped on so many social landmines over the years from just saying the wrong thing or being too honest or just being weird, quote unquote, that we've had to become basically hypervigilant and paranoid about checking people's bodily reactions, monitoring their facial expressions, trying to guess how people are responding to us because we just don't have the same kind of social intuition that many neurotypicals do. So one challenge that I have in the book is try just for one day to not do any of that stuff and just notice how much brain space is opened up. One that I learned from someone I interviewed for the book, Riley, um, is that he's a designer and he talked a lot about how his workspace used to be really informed by design rules that he was taught were, you know, in school, this is how you design a workspace. This is what a home office looks like. This is what a co-working space looks like. It's supposed to be clean and minimal and, you know, professional. And for him, unmasking was, no, I'm going to keep a bunch of fidget toys all over my desk and I'm going to have a foam roller under my desk so that I can kind of fidget it with my feet during meetings. And I'm going to have a mess all over the house because then I can find all my stuff, you know? That really blew my mind that unmasking can even have to do with your surroundings. Absolutely. And I and, and I wholeheartedly agree. And you know, can we just marvel at the miracle that we are we are two autistic adults, two autistic men, uh, from very different backgrounds, but some way, somehow we have made a very I would like to think engaging conversation and there are gonna be people who are listening to this. That is an incredible thing and I think it is a testament to what uh, unmasking can do and what we can allow autistic people to do when we allow, allow them to unmask. Yeah, and how incredible is it and what a sign of the progress we've made in terms of disability justice that it's you and me having this conversation as peers and as autistic people talking in this really you know egalitarian way. We've been talking with Devin Price, uh, his new book, Unmasking Autism, Devin Price, thank you for giving me the opportunity to interview. Thank you so much, Eric. This conversation was fantastic. This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine and More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine and More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.